Chapter 3 False Flag On a distant volcanic planet called Jeffco, in the Solarian Empire, a notification buzzes on a monitor. An operative sitting at the terminal burns her lips on her hot cope at the sudden sound. Camilla's biometric life sensors are displayed on the screen, flashing red, informing of her demise. The operative, whose sole job is to monitor the ambassador's vitals, quickly sends the data to her decks, following protocol should such an event occur. Part of an illegal intergalactic initiative, her job, along with hundreds of thousands of others, is to monitor and spy on anyone of interest throughout the known universe. Hastily exiting the bustling operator's room, she makes her way to deliver the report. In a corridor, long windows line the walls, allowing a red glow to fill the halls from the lava that spits and bursts outside. Walking through a bridge, a loud eruption occurs underneath, rattling the floor and the woman alike. The planet's ecosystem is volatile, making the working and living conditions stressful in and of itself without having to worry about the Grand Admiral. Crossing through the bridge leads her to an area with no windows, causing her footsteps to echo. At the end of the narrow hallway, a door swishes open. Tense, the operative enters the chambers of Grand Admiral Koshe. Having never seen Koshe in person, she's only heard rumors of his sinister appearance. The way his four horns substitute for hair as they curve over the entirety of his head. His ominous charcoal eyes seem to pierce one's soul. The whispers of what lies beneath the sleek mesh metal mask that covers the lower half of his pale, emotionless face. His species, nearly extinct, is the fearsome Dracone race. However, it isn't only Koshe's appearance that has the operative so nervous. It's the titles that he's received over the cycles that cast fear into the minds of many. Koshe the Deathless the merciless, the heartless, the destroyer. She knows one doesn't earn these names without just cause. Every operative on base has heard of Koshe's atrocities during the Jarvanist War, the number of lives he took. Even more troubling, how he took them. Trying to shake her fear, she stands in the entryway, looking across the room at the daunting figure. The intimidating Koshe, back turned, looks out into a rocky courtyard with a violent river of lava flowing through. Grand Admiral Koshe, I have news on Camilla Serin, the maiden of Lodane, the operative speaks insecurely. Koshe turns halfway, giving her permission to speak further. Swiping the screen on her decks, she sends the data of the ambassador onto a large digi-screen in Koshe's domain. Life sensors indicate her heart has stopped. She appeared to have died. Koshe looks at the screen momentarily, never speaking, before turning his attention back to the courtyard. Hesitating and unsure how he received the report, the operative takes her leave, gasping for breaths after her fear-induced encounter. Having been notified of Camilla's fate, the young king of Great Lodane summons the royal line for a sanctioned summit. Within a day, the bureaucrats arrive on Fulak, the capital planet of Great Lodane, to discuss the growing concern over the rumors. Already, whispers about Camilla's death circulate around the nation, sending its citizens into a fit of rage and panic. Each of the eight politicians takes their seat 
at the long table with generals and advisors sitting in chairs along a wall. King Victor, arriving determined and eager, signals to begin the assembly. From the planet Taperbow, Royal Senator Taylor stands and confronts the king of the rumors. Is it true? He demands with anger in his voice. Having mentored Camilla ever since she reluctantly became ambassador, he takes an interest in the matter. The crowd stirs up commotion in conjunction with the senator. Settling the group with his booming voice, the king shouts, Quiet! The crowd stops to listen to the king. The rumors are true, he states. The senators mumble to one another, shocked. Yesterday, there was an attack on Tyrock. There's an uneasy uproar in the room. The king speaks over the noise. We have lost contact with Camilla and her royal guard. Her life sensors suggest she has, indeed, been killed. Senator Taylor stands back up, demanding answers. Who was behind the heinous attacks? Again, the crowd rallies for reasons. Shouting over them, the king turns on a large digi-screen in the center of the conference table. A three-dimensional map of the known universe appears. King Victor, zooming in on the Rylak Guild region, speaks its data. Reports indicate that our Ikeans have been building up their military forces on the planet Tavasan, and Solon Vextro right on our borders here. The map focuses on the two planets, highlighting them along Great Lodane's northern border. We believe the Rylak Guild has been plotting an invasion on our outer planets for some time now, and killing Camilla was stage one of their assault. Another senator speaks out. Not even the Rylakians would dare evoke Javanus law. Half of the senators believe the Rylakians can wage war, while the other half doubt there is any real threat. As the senators argue amongst themselves over Javanus law, Senator Taylor sits quietly, devastated at the news. He has held out hope that his own sources, free from King Victor's control, were incorrect about Camilla. Knowing now the reports are accurate, the senator ponders the actions of the Rylak Guild. None of this makes sense, he thinks to himself. His sources also informed him that King Guillory has been killed as well during the assassination. Stroking his beard, he can't help but wonder if something else is at play. A masterful tactician from his time serving as general in the great Lodane military, he knows things are never as simply as they appear. The politicians continue to shout back and forth over the table as the king sits silently. During the commotion, General Zion of the great Lodane fleet approaches the king, whispering in his ear, Our assassin's life sensors have flatlined, your grace. Perhaps it was her royal guard, suggesting Tormo is alive and responsible for the assassin's death. Not born of high social stature, Tormo did not have life sensors implemented at birth making his status unknown to Great Lodane. Quickly responding with a low and aggravated voice, Then find him and kill him. He ruins everything if he is still alive. The king refers to Great Lodane's classified false flag operation. Your blunder of killing King Yurley has not gone unnoticed. I suggest for your sake, General, you handle this matter personally. Understanding the threat, General Zion nods. 
making his way for the docking bay. Senator Taylor, watching the king's demeanor, notices the hostility in the undisclosed conversation. Knowing the corruption that runs deep under the new king, the senator becomes suspicious of the events, strategically keeping his knowledge hidden in the shadows. General Zion gathers a small team of soldiers in the docking bay, boarding a great Lodame cruiser. He inputs a bounty with a search and eliminate directive on a dex on both Camilla Seren and Tormor Veltage. The commission is sent to the Collector's Guild, an official organization that accepts and keeps every commission under strict confidentiality. Through the guild, carefully selected and available collectors will be dispatched to collect the bounties. The general inputs the last known whereabouts of the two elves on the bounties and into his own navy computer, the moon of Gemini 3, Tyrock. 48 hours have come and gone since the battle in the courtyard. The Great Lodane Special Force, who launched the assault on Tyrock, now occupies the small mining colony. Embers pop on crumbling huts and buildings where flames once burned. Bodies, mostly carbals, are gathered and piled in the field beside the loading station. Large lights and rugged tents, shaking violently from the fierce gusts of wind, have been erected in the streets between the loading station and the ravished village. The blizzard nears ever closer to the colony, as heavy snow makes visibility increasingly lower with each passing day. A command center has been established from within the center tent, overlooking the courtyard, where several soldiers are trying to investigate the area through the harsh weather. Having arrived before the storm makes traveling to or from the area impossible, General Zion enters the command center. From his cloak to his officer's short-brimmed hat, dressed in all white, makes him instantly recognizable. Removing his thick gloves, he demands an update from the on-site commander. The storm is hindering our sensors. However, we have recovered a body from the courtyard, the commander reports, leading the general into another section of the large tent. The walls flap against the wind as Mother Nature tries to uproot the temporary base. The violent shaking unsettles the general, who is accustomed to more calm conditions. On a table lies a body, dead from burns and punctures throughout. The general looks at the body with intrigue, lifting the head and examining it closer. The face is unrecognizable, burnt to black and coal. Explain to me what I'm looking at, Commander, General Zion requests. The commander displays an analyst of the corpse on a monitor. This is his helmet, completely melted to his head, sir. Zion gives a thoughtful expression to the commander, surprised. These wounds, through his armor, were caused by large icicles. Zion lays the head down observing the holes in the chest and leg plates of the Jinja armor. Icicles, asking confused. The commander guides the general over to a closed chamber. As he approaches, the case opens, hissing as the pressure releases. A large, frozen shard of ice is displayed inside the case, pulled from the assassin's chest, and preserved in the temperature control chamber. All stricken, the general desires to know more. Show me the crater. He orders the commander. On the other side of the village, a mobile relay tower has been set up, 
monitoring and blocking all unauthorized transmissions from the area. Great Lodane wants to contain the attack on Tyrock until its king can control the narrative. The transmitter ensures no contact can be made inside of the tower's radius unless the military allows it. Lit up in bright lights, the building stays under heavy guard, keeping all villagers away with deadly force. From atop a roof of a damaged slave master's hut, a cloaked figure observes the tower from a distance. Calculating the number of soldiers, patrol habits, and exterior of the makeshift facility, the mysterious person identifies seven guards, four patrol the perimeter, two stand guard at the tower entrance, and one circles a platform around the large antenna. Two patrolmen on the perimeter stop as they pass one another, discussing the current rankings in the Collector's Guild. The shadowy person wastes no time, seizing the opportunity to infiltrate while they are distracted, sneaking behind crates, minecarts full of core diamonds, and parked vehicles. Eluding the guard's view, the cloaked being makes its way cautiously, but quickly, to the center of the facility. Sneaking around to the side of the tower, hidden in its shadow, the figure plots the next move. The cloaked figure takes a scope from their belt, telescoping it around the corner, observing the guards without placing himself in view. He sees the guards are focused on the small digital monitor, but unaware of any intruder's presence. The guards are each armed with crossbows, not expecting anyone to get close enough for the need of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Detracting the scope, the fugitive glances around for any other guards. Knowing the only way into the relay tower is through them, engagement is inevitable. Pulling a knife from his belt, the bean grips it tightly in his fist, the sharp edge pointing downward. Quickly rushing from the shadows, pinning the first guard with a giant forearm. Spinning fast, his bulky body crushes the soldier. Taking the blade, the mysterious warrior forcefully stabs it into the other guard before he has time to react. The first soldier, unable to breathe, is immobilized by the large body pinning him against the wall, preventing him from yelling out for help or drawing his crossbow. With one hand, the figure grabs the dead soldier and tosses him into the shadows. Spinning back around the corner, the warrior brings the other soldier and covers his mouth with his large hands. All happening with speed and precision, no other guard is alerted. The towering figure disarms and stands over the scared guard. Removing the hood reveals to the soldier a freshly patched eye, a scarred face with white feathers blended in to a white mohawk, and two sawed-off horns on either side. The soldier instantly knows he is staring face-to-face -face with the fearsome Tormo Veltich. When Tormro awoke 36 hours ago, he had to dig himself out of mounds of snow and ice that engulfed the courtyard. Immediately, he began searching for his one. Finding the charred and sizzling crater where Camilla once lay shocked him. Unsure of what could have caused an impact crater in that way, he had little time to mourn or search for answers. Making his way through the village, he carefully avoided any soldiers and the ongoing battle winding down. Seeking refuge in a barn, he fashioned an eye patch and tended to his wounds. In addition to losing an eye, the unknown blast created more scars on his battle-hardened body. Watching from the shadows, 
he observed the soldiers commit genocide on the Carbals and their slave masters. Any remaining Wallachian soldiers still alive were systematically tortured and hung on gallows. To obtain information, he began abducting and killing guards at every opportunity, slowly weakening their forces, one soldier at a time. It did not take long for rumors to begin, dubbing him the ghost of Tyrock. Some believed in superstition and that it was his ghost seeking revenge. Others thought he simply survived and was wrecking havoc. In a way, both stories are true. Injured, broken, and anguished, this new version of Tormro is not the version that had been buried in snow and ice. He has entered a state beyond berserk rage, reaching the ultimate transformation for an elf, known as Shanagami. Though an elf can transcend several levels in their lifetime, few ever reach the rare phenomenon as Shinagami. This new level of strength, resistance, and wits caused his hair, feathers, and eyes to change from ruby red to shimmering white. Tormro raises the bloody blade up to the soldier's face, resting it on his cheek below the eye. Towering over the guard, he demands, this is more than just an assassination operation. You will tell me what I want to know. Start with your organization. Tormro's single, bleached eye glares intensely at the shaken young human. The soldier nods in agreement and understanding. Releasing the soldier's mouth, he quickly repositions his hand around the boy's neck, squeezing just enough while allowing him to barely speak. The guard gasped out the information. I'm with the Thunderstars. Great Lodane's special forces. They don't tell us anything. I, I swear it. Tormro squeezes a little tighter, insinuating to the guard lying will not be tolerated. The boy screeches out, Only rumors! King's orders! The ambassador has to be killed. To ignite a war between Great Lodane and the Rylite Guild. Tormor was shocked to hear the assassination was perpetrated by their own nation. Where is Camilla? The ambassador, he asked with fierce anger. The soldier shakes his head. I heard they found her body in the courtyard. Tormor lowers his head, huffing in rage. More focused than before, he controls his emotions. Now that he knows his own king gave the orders, he knows who to dispel the rage upon. His hate begins to fill his mind. A calm wave washes over him, as though her kindness echoes in his ear. Camilla, he thinks. She needs a given memory. He turns his attention back on the youth. How old are you, boy? The soldier gasps through the tight grip around his throat. Eighteen. Tormo shakes his head, disgusted by the human's eagerness to see and wage war at such young ages. Lifting the soldier to eye level. Do you want to live to see 19? Tormo snars his sharp canines. The young soldier quickly nods. Then leave this rock. Leave this life of death behind you. In memory of Camilla Seren, daughter of Hal and Linda, my one, I spare your life. Slowly. He releases his tight grip from around the boy's neck, 
emotional over his given memory to Camilla. Assuming he would always die first, he never anticipated the need to carry out the tradition of a given memory for her. The soldier breathes heavily, coughing for air, staring up at Tormo for a moment, unfamiliar with the elvish tradition of given memories. He disappears into the night confused. Wiping tears from his eye, Tormo picks up the soldier's crossbow and enters the tower. Inside the narrow structure, far too small for an elf, is a single terminal with a large antenna going from the tower base to its top. Knowing if he disables the communications tower altogether, it will only alert them to his presence, not to mention they would reactivate it. Should he destroy it, they would erect two more to take its place that same hour. Technology, he begrudgingly contemplates. Slowly utilizing the digi-key, he spends the next half hour sending an encrypted message to the only ally he trusts who can help him escape this frozen hell. Once the message is sent, he heads back outside to sneak out from the facility. When the door swishes open and Tormor steps into the snow, he is met with a small brigade of Thunderstar soldiers, forcing him to quickly duck back inside, his back against the wall. Glancing through the open door, he sees a small death squad holding their position. They are each well armed, with a few carrying torches, ready to smoke him out if needed. Tormro! So it's come to this, General Zion yells out. You run around my camp in the middle of the night, killing my men. Standing in front of the squad, he is the younger soldier Tormro spared earlier that night. Recognizing to whom the voice belongs, he replies with disdain in his voice. Is that the king's hound squalling about? He shouts back, visibly aggravating Zion over the slur king's hound, a nickname he's been given throughout his career and one he despises. Where's Camilla? Tormor demands with authority, wishing to recover her body. Zion is quick to respond. First, my questions. What happened in the courtyard? He asks, confidently pacing. Who killed my assassin and how? Deflecting, I was hoping you could tell me. You always seem to know everything. Give me Camilla, and I'll let you get back to your master. Tormor snarls. Laughing at his gesture, Zion responds. Like you let my soldier go earlier? Curious, Tormor peeks around the door, seeing the young man he had let live in honor of his one. Banging his head on the wall in disappointment, he knows that was not the moment to do a given memory. Tormor was a fierce and cunning warrior. A strategy was never his forte. Tisk tisk tisk. Sloppy, Tormro. Very sloppy. Taunting the pinned-down elf, he came straight to my camp, informing me he had encountered the fearsome Tormro Veltich. Motioning his hand as though to be frightened, the crowd chuckles at the general's animated actions. You should have left, boy, Tormro shouts out in distress towards the young soldier. Shaking his head in disagreement, Zion places his hand on the boy's shoulder. He knows the punishment for defecting my thunderstars, walking the boy closer to the tower. The adolescent, being brainwashed, follows the general, smiling. Thunderstars, Tormro laughs to himself, 
I've always thought that was a ridiculous name. He insults the general, having formed and named the division. Ignoring the comment, the general continues. However, he may not have known about another cold we Thunderstars abide by. Zion unsheaths his sword. Fight to the death or die. The boy's smile fades into fear and confusion, thinking he had done right by coming to the general. Tormro glances out, knowing there is nothing he can do to spare his given memory. Zion raises his blade, stopping short of delivering a death blow to the boy as he hunkers over in fear. On second thought, toying with the youth, maybe I'll allow him to redeem himself. What do you think, old friend? Kill or be killed? He shouts, smiling. Damn it, Zion! He's just a boy, Tormoro protests. Then it's time for him to become a man. Zion barks back, grabbing a lance from a nearby soldier. Go on, boy. Finish your fight. Kill him. Arming the boy with the lance, a weapon not suitable for cramped spaces, the general encourages him to attack Tormoro in the tower. Petrified, the young boy knows he couldn't possibly survive against the much larger and skilled Tormoro. You spared him in memory of Camilla, I heard. Zion laughs, tormenting Tormro. A silly tradition, given memories. The question is, are you going to keep her memory alive, Tormro? Or will you kill it? Zion taunts, understanding elvish culture and the importance of the practice. When an elf commits a given memory to a deceased loved one, breaking that oath is considered blasphemous. Watching the young man tentatively approach. Don't do it, boy, he pleads, not wanting to go back on his vow to Camilla. Hesitating, the youth looks back over his shoulder to the smiling general. Do it, Zion angrily commands, drawing his sword once again, threatening him. Achieve glory through those doors or face disgrace by my blade. The young boy, realizing he has no other choice, accepts his fate. He must face Tormo Veltage one final time. Gripping the lance tightly with sweaty palms, he musters up the courage and yells out a trembling battle cry, charging towards the doorway of the communications tower. Tormo groans, arming himself with a small blade. The boy enters the cramped room, unable to properly position his spear for an attack. Tormro begrudgingly grabs the spear between the boy's hands, lifting him up with it. Contempt washes over him as he closes his eye and gives the boy a quick death. Opening his eye, he watches the life leave the tearful youth's body. Distraught, he keeps the spear, discarding the boy back out into the cold. The falling snow dissolves as it lands on the warm blood of the body, symbolizing to Tormro his given memory to Camilla has been desecrated. Zion laughs and claps. Wow, you are a cold-hearted beast. You didn't even hesitate. Well, so much for the memory of Camilla, huh? Walking back closer to his men for safety, knowing the instigated elf could strike at any moment. Snarling his canines, Tormo becomes enraged and devastated simultaneously. You're all going to die by my hands. 
the threat generates laughter from the small brigade. There are 30 soldiers out here carrying 30 swords, axes, lances, and bows. Well, 29 now, implying the boy's death. You're but one elf. Surely you're not that delusional. Tormro glances out one final time, seeing his only chance of survival. Grinning and content with whatever happens next. Let's find out, softly speaking to himself. Quickly turning the corner, Tormo aims his crossbow, releasing the arrow. Soaring swiftly, it cuts through the snow and wind, grazing Zion on his cheek as it passes. His aim, however, is not for the general. As the arrow continues, passing through an open flame of a soldier's torch, igniting the arrow's tip. With precision, the flaming arrow continues its trajectory, flying through the crowd of soldiers. Upon hitting its mark, a pile of highly flammable corn diamonds, a thunderous explosion occurs. The blast is large and fierce, killing most of the soldiers in Zion's squad. Rushing from the tower, Tormro hurls the spear at one of the soldiers and pummels any others that became dazed by the explosion. Making use of the weapons around him, he equips himself with the human sword. A dagger in the hands of an oversized elf, the deadly warrior begins bringing death to all those who survived the explosion. Utilizing his large stature, he quickly overwhelms the soldiers using the short blade. Though not alive to fight during the Jarvanus War, the powerful elf has become hardened by countless skirmishes during his time as a black beret in the Elvish Kingdom. Having served as captain, a position obtained only through combat, Tormor proves himself to be a formidable opponent. Few get close to him, striking with their swords, although in vain. Though not impenetrable, an elf's thick skin is difficult to pierce, particularly for humans. Continuing dispatching enemy after enemy, he searches for Zion through the bloody chaos. Suddenly, a ship overhead shines a blinding light down upon Tormro. Several guards rappel down wearing Jinja armor, the same armor as the assassin in the loading station days prior. Tormro was bested by one assassin wearing the Jinja armor. He now faces eight. Snarling his teeth and gripping his fist, he readies for a fight to the death. As he begins to make his move, several cables shoot out from the Jinja soldiers wrapping him and emitting electric currents. Buckling to one knee, he tries to fight through the pain, screaming. To everyone's astonishment, he returns to his feet, flexing with all his might. The steel cables begin crackling as they untether. The Jinja armor emit more energy, amplifying the electric current's shock. Far more significant than any one person could withstand, an elf or otherwise. This time, it forces him to both knees, hunkered over and crumbling in agony. Staring into the snow piled around his knees, he focuses on the lights shimmering off the individual snow crystals. Suddenly, he hears Camilla's voice echoing in his head, remembering the laughter they had, the meals, the conversations, the love. Then, images of the explosion evade in his mind. The inexplicable wave of snow, fire, and ice engulfs his memories. 
anger, and more determined than ever. He thinks of her given memory. How it was decimated by his own hands. At this moment, Tormor Veltich displays more strength than any elf ever witnessed. Rising with all his might, he flexes and pushes outward with his massive arms, snapping the electrical cables. The defiant act causes them to malfunction, electrocuting the Jinja soldiers, killing them instantly. Tormro, exasperated, falls to the ground, making a loud thud in the snow. Zion slowly approaches the weak elf, amazed at the uncanny strength he has shown. Elves are magnificent, he says while circling him. Tormro is too weak to get to his feet, though he tries. Zion picks up a rebar from a pile of rubble. You know, for a moment, I really thought you were going to kill us all, like you said. But, just like you're given memory, you lied, kicking Tormro, inflicting what little pain he can on the beastly elf. The general continues, The good news, I've decided I need you alive. The bad news, well, I've decided I need you alive. Swinging the rebar from the ground up, he strikes Tormo in the face, knocking him unconscious. Load him onto my ship, securely, he commands of his few remaining battered soldiers. Make sure he's heavily sedated. Bolak should enjoy unlocking the secrets to this creature. What about the maiden? The soldier asks while several men drag Tormo away. Find her body. Report back to me as soon as you do, he responds, looking up at the sky. She may prove useful to our research as well. Watching Gemini 3 disappear behind large, rolling clouds, Zion becomes anxious to leave the moon before the dreaded blizzard arrives. End chapter 3